podcast was recorded on the 1st of February 2011 at the London Centre of Spirituality for the launch of the new book New Monasticism as Fresh Expressions of the Church, where Graham Cray talks of why new monasticism is important to fresh expressions, and then involves a panel that includes Erin Kennedy from the MOOC community, Tessa Holland from the Contemplative Fire community, Diane Kershaw from the Order of Mission, Chris Rogers of the All Hallows Church community, Ian Adams of the CMS Small Mission Community Network, Andy Freeman of the 24-7 Prayer Network and Reconcile Community in Reading, and Brother Sam of the Anglican Franciscans Community based in Hillfield Priory. The event was emceed by Ian Mobsby of the Moot Community. As the leader of the Fresh Expressions team, can thank you for coming and welcoming you here. Why this agenda and Fresh Expressions? Well, of course, the, uh, the publisher would say, buy the book, read my opening chapter, and you'll get the answer. But uh, I won't be as, as mean as that. Why the connection between new monasticism and fresh expressions of church? Uh, Some strategic reasons and an intuitive one that I think is probably more important. Strategic reasons, what we're engaged in, in many ways, is the re-evangelization of Britain, if not Europe. Uh, In previous centuries, the 5th to the 7th, the 11th to the 15th, It was monks, not parish clergy, that actually did it. And therefore, something simply gives me an alert that missional new monastic communities might be a key. I'm actually now convinced that it is vital that parish churches plant fresh expressions of church, but that that will never be enough for the re-evangelization of our nation, and we need more. And that another of, if you like, the the arrows in the quiver is new monastic missional communities. Uh, Why so? Because they reconnect three things that are often kept separate. Spirituality, discipleship, and mission. Uh, Reconnecting spirituality to to mission... uh, admirably demonstrated in 24-7 and if you don't know 24-7 is the latest uh, community to become a full partner in the Fresh Expressions Initiative in the UK and prayer houses that were set up to be prayer houses and then annoyingly people who wanted to know about God came along and woven into the DNA from the beginning intercession, spirituality, mission, service to the community reconnecting discipleship and mission really since the Reformation all, all the reformers' great arguments for holiness were not connected to the call of the church to be a missionary or missional church. And that added dimension within scripture that the quality of my discipleship is about my being salt and light for others, that others might see, was disconnected and frankly it cuts the nerve of discipleship. Discipleship is for me the critical issue regarding the re-evangelization of our nation. It doesn't matter whether you're working in a very traditional setup or planting the most apparently on-the-edge fresh expression you can imagine. The ultimate test is what is the quality of disciples that you're making. 
I don't think we know how to form authentic Christian disciples in the consumer culture yet, but I'm convinced that we're learning and I'm convinced that rhythms of life, rules of life, patterns of shared commitment are absolutely crucial to it. A previous generation, certainly of my sort of churchmanship, relied heavily on self-discipline and personal spiritual disciplines. Uh, In this current era, it's the one anothering that provides the resource that makes the the individual spiritual disciplines sustainable, I believe. And reconnecting discipleship and mission, recognizing that at the heart of mission is the call to people to be whole life, lifelong followers of Jesus and not just people who go to church and believe they'll go to heaven. Uh, All of those three strands, spirituality, discipleship and mission, I see woven together in many strands of new monasticism. And that's why I regard it as essential uh, to the work that I do. And that's why we hosted a day. And many of the papers for that day are a substantial part of the book uh, that we are promoting tonight. The intuitive reason, God's up to something. Everywhere I look missional orders. Our partners, apart from the denominations, Anglican, Methodist, United Reformed, soon Church of Scotland, our partners, a CMS, who are now an acknowledged community, Church Army, who are seeking to be and want to develop an ecumenical lay order of evangelists, if that is the way that the society chooses to go, uh, Anglican, Anglican Church Planting Initiatives, where's my colleagues Bob and Mary Hopkins, members of the Order of Mission, now 24-7, who are essentially a, a new monastic missional movement. And recently I've heard of a commitment to begin an ecumenical lay missional order for the re-evangelization of Lincolnshire. And last Saturday I heard about hopes and plans for something similar in Greater Manchester. It seems to me everywhere I look and the partners God has given me, this issue of an order for mission, not just the order of mission, is surfacing. I think the Holy Spirit's up to something. I personally believe much of the, the, better, the good bit of the Fresh Expressions agenda is all about the Holy Spirit is up to something. Uh, I think we've caught a wave of the Holy Spirit. Central to my job description is don't fall off. And therefore, taking very seriously, if God is bubbling up, a new, appropriate for now, monastic movement to form disciples and re-evangelize our nation uh, is a matter of extremely great interest to me, and hence the book. Now for the panel to kind of introduce their own communities and engage with what you've just heard about this idea of fresh expressions and new monasticism um, as almost catching up with what God is doing in context. So the first I want to introduce is Andy. There's a microphone just to your left, Andy. So, uh, hello, uh, my name's Andy, uh, Andy Freeman. I'm part of the Reconcile community, as has been mentioned, uh, in Reading. Uh, my background has been working with 24-7 prayer, Uh, Over 10 years, uh, as Bishop Graham has already mentioned, we started these prayer rooms just really as a thing just to kind of help, really. Uh, I must admit, in my situation, my faith level was this might help my youth work, and that's about it. Um, Didn't think I'd be here doing things like this. Um, What happened was that people 
began to explore faith in these prayer rooms. Communities emerged, relationships formed. And in the most unlikely places, a pub in Reading, a naval academy in America, uh, in the downtown east side of Vancouver, in one of the poorest postcodes in the whole of uh, the Western world, these communities formed. And uh, our journey with Reconcile now is to try and form a 24-7 community that's actually an ecumenical order, but linked to the Anglican Church. I'm getting ordained, maybe, you know, hopefully, in a year or two. Uh, but we're certainly sort of journeying towards an idea of an intentional order that links to a more inherited style of church and as a fresh expression within a local community. There's about 20 of us meeting in a pub. We've drawn up a simple rule of life to try and love God, love other people, love our world, and work around three symbols of a door, a light, and a table to try and live that way. And I must admit, I was sort of like thinking, okay, how do I introduce what we're doing, or how do I sort of... um, contribute to this sort of discussion and I was drawn actually to the, the first bit I wrote in the paper that we did last year where I, I kind of questioned how I felt about the, the term new monasticism in itself. It fills me with trepidation that we speak about new monasticism in some ways. What we're doing doesn't feel that new. It's certainly not very mono. Everything I do is around friends, community But most of all, it's deeply sober and serious. And when I wrote that a year ago, I have to say I I wasn't quite aware of how much God was going to teach me about that in the last year. The idea of challenge, of suffering, of difficulty... I'm really starting this up on a happy note, aren't I? I didn't know I was going to go first. It is actually probably the biggest lesson that I've learnt over this year. And I think I've probably learnt that most of the people who've explored this call over the history of the church have been people of courage, men and women of courage. How we then explore that is, I guess, what we're trying to find out. But, but here's, I guess, what I know. Our rule, which I think, if I'm honest with you at first, we thought was quite cool that we had three loves, we now begin to realise that loving God in the midst of a suffering world isn't very cool at all the feeling of abandonment when you wonder whether God's there and fulfilling that vow, that commitment is tough. To love other people in the midst of their addiction, their mental illness, their unemployment, their own suffering, makes you question whether you really know what love is and also makes you wonder sometimes how hard it is to communicate love to other people and to love our world when all around us in the world seems to be things that lack love, places which don't feel loved, to try and communicate love in a place that doesn't feel loved, is a tough call. And it takes me back to probably the first thing I felt God speak to me about in our first 24-7 prayer room, and that's the incarnation from John 1. I remember meditating on it in the first night I went and prayed in our first prayer room, and I probably spent the next six months going back most times of prayer to this passage that Christ was placed incarnated in our world just as Adam was placed in the garden so Christ was placed amongst us David Kelsey who's written a really good book about about what it means to be a human being talks about the idea of locatedness and I guess my sort of thought my challenge, my sort of place where I am and very much the chapter that I try to write is about the idea of being present if we're going to live a monastic lifestyle let's do it present If we're going to pray and commit ourselves to pray, let's make our prayers present. 
What does this mean for the people I live near? What does this mean for the poor? Leonardo Boff uh, wrote this about St. Francis. Oh, I feel like he's more of a model to us. We feel more like friars, I think, than monks, if I'm honest with you. And he said this, The incarnation is for Francis a mystery of divine sympathy and empathy. Francis lived much of his life amongst lepers. It wasn't that the church hadn't cared for lepers before. It was that Francis chose to do it from within a community of people suffering from leprosy, to care amongst rather than at a distance. I know quite often I feel tempted to care and then go away, to go back to the safety of my prayer room or to my nice house. But how do we incarnate our prayers and our love? And I want to end, if I can. I felt like at a book launch I should quote a book other than the book that's been written. So this is from my favourite book, which is To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, And if you know it, it's a story of courage. And this is how courage is described. I wanted you to see what real courage is. Instead of getting the idea that courage is a man with a gun in his hand. It's when you know you're licked before you begin. But you begin anyway and you see it through no matter what. You rarely win, but sometimes you do. I have to report our year has been a year of sometimes winning but that God's deepening us through that and I think whatever it is that we're exploring here it's a serious call and one that requires challenge to recognise that sometimes we may win and to have hope in that but that it's worth doing anyway Um, I'm working with Contemplative Fire I'm a companion on the way uh, along with my husband and a small group of companions in West Sussex on the South Downs. Contemplative Fire is a dispersed community. Um, We have uh, companions living on their own, miles from any other companions. We have also clusters of companions who manage to meet together regularly. Um, Throughout the South East, and Philip Roderick, our community leader, has moved up to Sheffield now, so we're beginning to grow organically there as well. We also have the beginnings of um, a group in Toronto, in Canada. And I really just wanted to pick up on, on three things um, from, from the book, in fact. It's sort of a little bit like pebbles off the beach, so that I just, in my own thoughts and reflections, are sort of polishing, and I'd like to share that with you. And the first is Ian's point in his first chapter about um, that contemplative fire is one of those uh, fresh expressions that is re-monking the church. I rather liked that phrase. Um, and talks about the comparison about re-monking and re-friaring. With certainly for myself and the particular charism that I, I'm called to, to live by. The contemplative is, is something that we're developing in the South Downs, whereas I can think of other people within Contemplative Fire who are much more friar-like, much more active, out there, much more visible. And the thing that I'm noticing with what we're doing in the South Downs is that we are a community of presence. Um, there is a lot of attention to being still, to, to going deep. Um, so so the, um, one of the sessions that I lead is about um, how to develop one's contemplative practice. How do we do this? So let's try and do it together. Uh, so once a month we're meeting in a little church up on the South Downs in the middle of a farmyard and we're spending from 8 until 10 in the morning um, for an hour or two hours, regardless of the weather or the dark or the cold, being still together and learning to do it together. And I was really struck, sometimes there was this phrase about being the attractional model. Um, 
And it's, it struck me that one of the things that contemplative fire I feel is happening is that we're being invited to be an attractive model, which is rather different. I'm not putting on an event and hoping that somebody will turn up. I'm prepared to sit there in silence for two hours and worship in silent prayer if nobody turns up. So it's actually developing that practice and living the rhythm, our rhythm of life of contemplative practice, creative practice and compassionate practice and taking it seriously. Uh, And things, we've never yet been alone. It's been amazing. So it, it is that sense of being an attractive presence, really being present to the locality. The second thing is that within our rhythm of life, since I I wrote that chapter, I I noticed that one of my conclusions is that we're looking of ways of of how can we do this better? Um, And I feel that one of the things that's happening is the the use of spiritual direction. Um, Not only do I help facilitate contemplative fire, but we're a quiet quiet garden which opens once a month. Um, so we, we have a ministry of hospitality and prayer. And I also offer spiritual accompaniment to those who would like it. Um, so I see people on a regular basis. And I'm finding that people are choosing to do that rather than go along to a group. There's something about the personal, the recovery of the personal, of hearing their own story. And this isn't about individualism. It's about understanding oneself as a person created in the image of God. So I feel in terms of discipleship that there's an important role there that maybe I haven't appreciated its significance. So it's left left me with food for thought. And the third thing leading on from that, um, from Philip Roderick's chapter, I noticed he picked up on language, as as do I. Um, And that is the recovery of the language, the wisdom language of the beloved. Um, There was once a lady standing at a bus stop who I knew for the local shops and at the time, I was curate in the next village, and I said to her, look, you know, wouldn't you come along? We're a loving, there's a loving congregation there who will welcome you. And she said, I don't need to go to church to know that I'm no good. I already know that I'm no good. And that has left me, with, as I've journeyed, with the growing sense, particularly with quiet garden, contemptive fire, spiritual direction, that the one thing, the one thing that people long to hear is that they are beloved. Um, not only do we, are we invited to seek the face of the beloved, but we are invited to know ourselves as being beloved of God. And so those three things have given me food for thought. Hello. My name's Aaron Kennedy. Um, I'm one of the editors on the book. Uh, Ian and I both go to the same community, but he's asked me to uh, chat a little bit about what moot, the moot community um, has been doing regards new monasticism. Um, excuse me, I'm not texting, I'm taking notes on my gadget. Uh, <coughs> so yes, my background is in evangelical tradition and more recently you might want to box me in the de-churched category um, and it was around about the time that I fell into that group, if you like, that I started coming along to moot. And I guess my comments are going to be around the progression that Moot's made from being predominantly self-describing as a, an emerging church community to becoming something more new monastic, which is not to say necessarily ditched emerging church, but perhaps 
new monastic is what has emerged. So I guess we started off about five years ago with the rhythm of life. It was very aspirational and you might say a wee bit woolly. Easy for people to get involved with. Uh, Not too demanding, not too specific or prescriptive. Not very monastic as well, you might say. Yes, so the main points of that, to give you an example, uh, broad themes like balance, creativity, hospitality, accountability, presence and acceptance. That was working reasonably well as as a descriptor for our community and as as, um, signifiers of who we we were and what we wanted to become, but it quite simply wasn't really transforming anybody. So in the last year, we've been having an extended discussion uh, on developing a set of disciplines, postures and practices that we um, will sort of have deepened our rhythm of life with. So I guess, yeah, not ditching the old, but just deepening what we had. Um, And I'm really pleased to hear uh, all the talk about presence and contemplation and the contemplative life, because I think that is perhaps the crux of things for us. There's a whole stream of new monasticism that seems to really uh, endorse the kind of 12-step approach, and we do also. Um, So some of the associations around that, perhaps not explicitly 12-step. What I don't always see is an emphasis on the contemplative mind and contemplative prayer, and that's definitely something that Moot has been resourced by. So if I could speak so bold and say people are being transformed in Moot and it's very much, I guess, those two kind of ideas working together, an idea of um, a 12-step informed approach, if you like, to contemplative prayer. Conversions at the heart of what we do and what we're about. Um, as Richard Rohr said, uh, transformed people transform people. Um, and I guess I would sum it up by saying presence. Presence is what we're aiming for. So thanks, Andy, uh, for that. But we've just moved moved homes. We are now um, resident in the Church of St. Mary Aldermary down by Mansion House Tube and no longer in this very parish. Uh, yeah, my name's uh, Diane. I'm from the Order of Mission. And uh, the Order of Mission is... Um, is a missional movement that has been um, has been around for about eight years. We were birthed out of the life of, uh, of St Thomas's Church, both Crooks and Philadelphia, that are both uh, based uh, up in Sheffield in the north. And um, the Order of Mission is a, a dispersed community. We have a number of people throughout the UK, but also uh, throughout Europe, particularly Denmark for some reason and um, throughout North America, um, Australia, a few people dotted around um, South America and, uh, and Asia. Um, at the heart of the order of mission is, is making disciples. Um, we're not really interested in kind of initial conversions. That's great. But actually what we want to do is be disciples, be lifelong followers of Jesus. Uh, and and be be growing disciples, be seeing people come to know uh, the Lord and grow uh, as lifelong disciples, um, people that are being equipped and released um, to be disciplers and missional leaders. I think that um, 
uh, as, uh, as Bishop Graham said, we've not necessarily always been particularly good at making disciples. Um, in the order of mission, we have a rule of life, um, and, uh, and these are basically tools that enable us to be disciples and to encourage and grow and build discipleship, a discipleship culture. Um, and to enable people to, to really grow in their faith and not just remain static. Again, Aaron was talking about, about, about that conversion transformation, and that is what we, uh, we long to see. Um, and we have the privilege of seeing that as well, and seeing particularly young people uh, being inspired by the gospel and changed by the gospel and released uh, to, be, uh, to be bearers of the kingdom. Um, we, um, we take vows to live in simplicity, uh, purity, and accountability, uh, which are, are a reframing of poverty, chastity, and obedience, the, uh, the uh, ancient vows of, uh, of monastic orders. We're, we're not really, as, as you said, Andy, it feels like we're not really doing anything new. It's, it's all been done before. We're just getting on and, uh, and doing it again. Um, and, and our vows are very much something that is, is about an internal reality that gets expressed externally. It's not just about doing. Our doing has to come out of our being and of being a people that are encountering the gospel and being changed and transformed and allowing that to, to enable us to, to live good lives, to live godly lives, to live lives that reflect uh, the life of Jesus. Um, both in our relationship with God, in our relationship with one another as a community, and, uh, and a relationship with those that we're called to live alongside and, uh, and be salt uh, and light uh, with. Uh, one of the things that, that I've kind of noticed as I've, as I've read some of the, the stuff that, uh, that's been written is I've, I've just had a um, couple of days spending some time with the guys at Moot, which has been great. And, um, and although often we use a different language, I'm, I'm really seeing sort of connections. Um, in a sense, new monasticism is, um, is something that the Order of Mission is a part of, although some of the language sometimes feels a bit alien to me and to, to us as a community. But, um, but the distinction of, of, of the monks and the friars is something that, although I might use different language uh, about actually really resonates and I think part of our calling is to engage with both of those things, uh, to be building uh, what we might describe as central communities, places of, of, of belonging, of prayer, of, of nurture and discipleship and preparation and, and training and then uh, the, the, the friars moving out, um, stepping out, being sent, going to the the hard places, the, the remote places, the places where the gospel hasn't been touching lives for a long time. And, and I see that as part of the privilege of, of the culture uh, of the Order of Mission and, and part of our calling. And, and I see that growing uh, amongst the, um, the new monastic communities as I, as I find, out, find out more. And as we get beyond some of the language to actually what's at the heart of us, which I think there's a lot of really... Uh, really shared uh, values and, uh, and, and intentions. Um, yeah, at the heart of the order of mission is community, that, um, that we're people that are committed to relationship with one another, and um, that's not always easy. Um, but actually, as we, uh, as we press on, 
as we um, forgive, as we repent, as we commit ourselves to really walking deeply with one another and, um, and pressing through some of the hard challenges of what it is to be a community. I think in that place, um, we see life transformed and there's something very attractive about that. It isn't attractional, as, as you were saying, Tessa, but there's something deeply attractive about that that people uh, long for as they encounter the peace amongst brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. And, um, and, and just, just finally, the kind of something that is, again, really at the heart of the order of mission is, um, is the commitment to the church. Uh, actually, we don't want to set up something that's, that's separate. Um, we're an ecumenical uh, movement, so we have uh, people that are part of the Anglican Church, the Baptist Church, Free Church, uh, the Lutheran Church, which is part of our heritage, St. Thomas is an ecumenical uh, church. And again, there's just such incredible power and privilege in that as the people of God um, live in unity together and, and seek to get beyond the stuff that isn't necessarily important and some of the language that we use and actually seek to uh, see that the oneness in Christ be expressed uh, in our community. Thanks for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net. Thank you.